Good morning. He is risen. Amen. That's why we're here. And we're going to celebrate later. You may have seen some of the results of a previous celebration, or maybe you just thought we don't clean around here, but um, uh, we're going to celebrate later. We're going to talk first about uh, what this means for us. Uh, We've been, for the last several weeks, talking about desert seasons and times of spiritual dryness. And so today we make that transition from the desert to the garden. And we're so grateful for the people who decorate our stage. Doesn't it look great? It's beautiful. Yep, thank you. And it's just a representation of this journey that, that we're going on. We're, we're part of this incredible story that has been going on since the beginning of time and is gonna go on forever. Um, do you like stories? Do you? Do you like movies? Do you like movies? Let's ask that question. Do you like movies? Do you like books? Movies or books? Yeah, okay, yeah. So we just, we just identified the nerds in the group. So um, that's, that's me. Uh, so the reason why we like books and movies is because there's a story that we get to put ourselves into. And what I like about books is you get to use your imagination to put yourself in there. Uh, movies, you're using someone else's imagination. It's still Okay. But that that's draws us in, that idea of being a part of something bigger than us, but maybe we can, we can interact, we can contribute to that. Um, people have been engaging with different stories throughout all of human history. I want to tell you one. Uh, on November 2nd, 1983, about 40 years ago, President Ronald Reagan signed a bill into law that made the third Monday of every January uh, a national holiday in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. And for the last 40 years, millions of people, not just in the United States, but really all over the world, have participated in this celebration. They march in parades and they visit memorials and uh, gather together uh, to put themselves into this story. People are drawn to this story of nonviolent protest for the sake of justice and mercy. People are drawn to that story. And so we honor this person who kind of, you know, blazed a trail for that for us right? Individuals, churches, organizations, communities uh, put themselves into that story because it's something they want to be a part of. But you might be a part of that story in a way that you're not aware. The person, the congressperson who um, presented the bill that eventually made it to Ronald Reagan's desk was Congresswoman Katie Hall from Indiana. Did you know that? So Indiana was invited into this story through Katie Hall's leadership, and we get a chance to participate in uh, something that is bigger than us, we can celebrate, but we can also contribute to in meaningful ways. And, and the story that you and I are invited into uh, through our faith is uh, bigger than us, and we're going to dive into that today. It's a story that starts out good, turns bad, ends great. It's a story that starts out with life. And then there's death. And then there's new life. It's, it's a story that moves from gardens to deserts to gardens again. And we're going to dive into that story. We're going to cover it um, this morning. So this story begins for us today in John chapter 19 in a garden. So I want to invite you as we read through scripture today, if you see something on the screen that's underlined, that's your part, and would love for you to read that aloud. John 19, 41, at the place where Jesus was crucified, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
This story of Resurrection Sunday begins in a garden, a beautiful place full of life and abundance, and yet it's also a grave. And I think that contrast is memorable. It's supposed to stand out in our minds. This man sent from God to represent God's holiness and power and also represent the fragility and potential of humanity executed by at the will of religious leaders who were threatened by his subversive message. But he didn't stay dead, did he? He is risen. And on that day, uh, Luke tells us this incredible story from Luke chapter 24 about these two disciples of Jesus who were walking from Jerusalem on the road to this town called Emmaus. And they're walking and they're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, the things that happened. And this stranger just appears next to them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, we're talking about, you know, the stuff that just happened. He's like, what stuff? And they're like, how could you not know? There was this incredible rabbi named Jesus from Galilee and he did miracles and he healed people and he raised the dead and he preached about the kingdom of God and then they killed him on Friday. How can you not know about this? And the stranger, turns out, was Jesus, risen from the dead. They didn't know, they didn't recognize him. And then Jesus is going to respond to this conversation they're having. Let's pick up with the story in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then the eyes of their hearts were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. That's kind of cool. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, he is risen indeed (laughs) and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So these guys get to have this encounter with the risen Jesus, and not only an encounter, but they get the best sermon ever, right? Where Jesus starts with Moses, and he's not just talking about the person Moses, but the writings of Moses, which go all the way back to Genesis 1. And from Genesis 1 to the resurrection, Jesus lays out this whole story about what this has all been about from the very beginning, and then he points them to the future and what's still yet to come. And they get to go back to the other disciples and and share this amazing, the best sermon ever, right? These two guys have to be like the best preachers ever because they're getting the story directly from Jesus and they get to transfer it to the other disciples and celebrate the new life that Christ is presenting. So what we're gonna do today is the same thing. We're gonna start at the beginning. We're gonna go all the way to the resurrection and then to what's coming next, all right? You ready? Some of you are like, I've got plans later. Can we, is this gonna take long? Uh, no, if you pay attention, no, it will not uh, take long. So uh, lean in, lock in, and uh, let's go. So this story begins for humanity in a garden, a garden called Eden. Let's read um, from Genesis 2 about where this begins for us. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. This is where God chose to place the humans that he made in this environment of abundance and life and flourishing. I think we were made for garden living. 
That's what we're gonna call it, garden living. And so I want to point out three characteristics of garden living that you and I were made for, and then we're gonna track how we do with that throughout scripture. Okay, so first is we were made for allegiance to the king. Allegiance to the king. In the garden, who's in charge? The one who made the garden and made the people and put them there seems like he should be in charge, right? And so part of their role as these humans created the image of God is to acknowledge God as their creator and their king. So allegiance to the king is core to garden living. Second is connection to people, how they interact with each other. In verse 18 of Genesis 2, God looks at this man who's alone in the garden. He's like, this is, this is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. There, there should be companionship. So he, he creates a partner for, um, for the man. And then there's this interaction between human beings that's supposed to honor God. So this connection to people. And then third, there is a mission for the people in the garden. They have a good work to do. In 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So this wasn't just about, you know, laying back and eating grapes all day. There's stuff, there's good stuff to be doing. You've got a mission, you've got a job to do. Those are the three core elements of garden living and the life that you and I were made for. Allegiance to the king, connection to people, and a mission, a good work to do. This did not last long. It, just in the next chapter, we see all of this come crashing down. God, as the king of the garden, gets to sort of make the rules, right? And so he tells Adam and Eve, like, just don't eat the fruit from this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's my domain. I'm the one who gets to decide what's right and wrong because I made you. I know what's best for you. So just don't eat from that tree. Well, they eat from the tree, right? And this breaks all three of the core elements of garden living. It breaks their allegiance to the king. They disobey the one who's actually in charge. It breaks their connection to each other. All, all of a sudden, they're, they're ashamed uh, to be around each other. And it abandons their mission to rule over created things because they let this created thing deceive them into eating the fruit. So all three elements of garden living are broken by this fall. And this brings sin and death into the world. And sin and death are gonna take a toll. Sin and death are the reasons why you and I read the news and we go, what is going on? Come, Lord Jesus, please. This is, it's bad out there, right? Not only is it bad out there, it's bad in here, right? Sin and death come into the world through this chapter we call the fall. These things are broken. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter five. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. It's a broken, messed up world we live in because sin and death are a part of it. But God doesn't just abandon his original vision for humans experiencing garden living. He doesn't throw up his hands and say, well, I tried. In fact, God is looking for a way to move towards the original created intent for humanity. And he moves into this chapter called the covenant. It's a covenant and God selects a certain group of people uh, the, the descendants of Abraham, to establish this covenant to represent uh, all humanity. A covenant is an agreement between God and people about who's king, how we're supposed to treat each other, and what our mission is, what our good work to do is. That's what a covenant is. So when we hear that um, phrase throughout scripture, that's, that's the agreement between God and people about who's in charge, how, do we, how are we supposed to treat each other, and uh, what is our mission, what's our purpose? So he establishes this covenant with the people of Israel, not because they're better than anybody else, just because he needs a group of people to be representatives to all of humanity about what a relationship with God looks like. And so he's doing this through the descendants of Abraham and they blow it. 
over and over and over again, they blow it. But God's original intent is there for them. So at one point, there's this great story in the book of Numbers, which you probably have never read. You might not read, you should. Um, but in Numbers, there's this story about this enemy king who is threatened by the Israelites. And so he finds this guy that seems to have some kind of mystical power. Um, and he hires this guy named Balaam to curse the Israelites. He's like, I want you to say bad things are gonna happen to the Israelites. Curse them for me because I'm scared of them. So Balaam goes to this high place and he's gonna curse the Israelites, but the Holy Spirit intervenes. And instead of cursing them, Balaam accidentally blesses them. Like that's what comes out of his mouth is a blessing on the people of God. I wanna read some of this blessing to you that Balaam pronounces over the nation of Israel. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river. Like the aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Waters will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. What does that sound like? Eden. That sounds like the picture of Eden with the river flowing through it and abundant life. This is the vision God still has for the Israelites who continue to rebel. He establishes this covenant with them, this idea of allegiance to their king by uh, some particular phrases. One is, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's, he says that over and over again. Another is what the, uh, the Jews call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That was something they repeated over and over again because this is part of the covenant. This is the agreement. God is king. The connection to each other is laid out for them in the instructions called the Torah. And in those instructions, we find in the book of Leviticus, this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how they're supposed to honor the king is by loving each other. And then you find this mission that the Israelites are given. They are to be a light to the nations. They are to be a representation of what life with God looks like to people who are not part of this family so that others can know that they can have a relationship with their creator as well. And they just fail to keep this covenant over and over again. They worship false gods. They mistreat each other through injustice and oppression and leveraging power for their own benefit. And they abandon their mission to be a light to the nations by just adopting practices of pagan nations into their own um, family. And yet God does not give up on them. He never at any point throws up his hands and says, well, I tried, you know, too bad. In fact, God continues to speak through the prophets about a time that's gonna come when his vision will be restored. In Isaiah 51, we get one example of that. It says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. God still has Eden on his mind. Even after all this rebellion, all this oppression and injustice, all of this waywardness, God still has Eden and garden living on his mind. What he wants for people is abundant life, a life of flourishing that is characterized by allegiance to the king, connection to each other, and a mission, a good work to do. So it didn't work out with Israel. What are we gonna do? God doesn't give up. Instead, he's gonna establish a new covenant. And the prophets begin to talk about a new agreement between God and people. It's called the kingdom of God. And in this agreement, the prophets say, one man is gonna stand for all of humanity. One man is gonna be tasked with allegiance to God, proper connection with people, and fulfillment of his mission. And if he gets it right, we all get to benefit from his faithfulness. And Jesus comes along 
in the New Testament, and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. It's all on my shoulders. If I can demonstrate allegiance to the king perfectly, connection with others perfectly, and fulfill my mission, you all get to benefit from my faithfulness. That's the new agreement. That's the new covenant. And Jesus begins to lay this out in his life and teachings. When he talks about allegiance to the king in this kingdom, he uses this, these same words from the Shema. Matthew chapter twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He's saying it, nothing has changed. Like this is the same commitment to your creator, but now I'm, I'm the one who's gonna uphold it for you. Connection to people is demonstrated through the next verse in uh, that passage where Jesus says, here's how you love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what God created you for. That's how you honor your creator. Nothing really has changed. He quoted that from Leviticus chapter 9, 19. And so he just, he's putting himself as the representative saying, I'm, I'm gonna show you what this is like and I'm gonna do it on your behalf. And then he gives them a mission, a good work to do. And the mission is to make disciples. He says in Matthew 28, 19, after the resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this new covenant is characterized by allegiance to the king, connection to people, and a mission to do, right? How is this gonna be possible? How can one man stand for all the people? Well, we see the first element of it in the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus is Jesus standing in our place for our sin. And he breaks the power of sin through his sacrificial death. When the person with the most power puts themselves at the bottom, that kind of sacrificial love breaks and damages evil. And, and Jesus does so permanently. So here's how Paul talks about it in his letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter two, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Up until this point, sin and death have had power over humans to prevent us from being able to keep the covenant. And Jesus breaks the power of sin. So we ask the question, why do I still sin then? Like if the power of sin is broken. So what we mean by Jesus breaking the power of sin is that we are no longer slaves to it. Forgiveness and freedom are available for us every single day through Christ. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins and repent, he forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise that is possible because Jesus broke the power of sin through his sacrificial death. Sin is defeated. And the second element that addresses sin and death is the resurrection of Jesus. He goes to his death voluntarily, but he does not stay dead because he is stronger than death. Here's how Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man also. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The last thing, the last obstacle to garden living for human beings is death. It's this idea that we're, we're gonna 
we're gonna get to the end and we're gonna find ourselves outside of God's kingdom. And Jesus destroys the power of death. The last enemy is death. And Jesus breaks the power of death so that now we as followers of Jesus and members of this new kingdom do not have to fear death. Um, I had a weird phone call with my, or Zoom call with my mom. Saying I had a Zoom call with my mom is weird anyway. But she, she texted me and my uh, two sisters and my brother on Friday. She says, I need to talk to all of you at once. That sounds ominous. Either she's dying or she found a box of gold in her backyard. I don't know. So, um, so we get on this Zoom call. We're all kind of nervous. And she said, I just wanted to let you guys know I'm, I'm I'm not sick, I'm healthy, but I've been thinking about death and I've been making my plans. She called it her layaway plan. Um, So (laughs) she begins to lay out her layaway plan for us um, using a lot of humor as my mom does. She's got a very good wit and my brother inherited that. And so between the two of them, this was a very lighthearted and at some points just really silly conversation as we talked about her death together. Is that weird? It's kind of weird. Let's agree. My mom is not afraid to die. Death has no power over her. She is follower of Jesus and his death makes life possible for her forever. She's not afraid. She's able to laugh about it and joke about it. Even for us, you know, as her kids were like, this is, this is uncomfortable, mom. Let's, let's, let's stop talking about how your body is gonna be. Like all of that stuff was just weird. So, but she just, she's just fine. She's not like itching to die, but She's not afraid of it either. That is the gift that comes to those who are in Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus breaks the power of sin and death and he establishes the people of God. So much like the Israelites were called to represent God to everyone on the planet, now it's the church is the kingdom of God. The church is the people who are called to live, guard and living as best we can, allegiance to the king, connection to people, our mission to be a light to the world, make disciples of all nations. That's who we are. That's where you and I live right now. We're in this story. The story is, is for you. It's not really about you. It's about Jesus, but you're invited into it and you get to make a meaningful contribution to it. And as we do that here and now in a place where it's really difficult to do because evil is still present and darkness still happens, and there's cancer, and there's war, and there's violence, and there's oppression, and there's injustice. And we look at all that, sometimes we go, God, what's the solution? Where are you? And then we look at the church, and we go, oh, here it is. Here it is. We're the ones. We're the ones who are supposed to be doing what Jesus did. Whenever we have power and authority, we leverage that for the benefit of others sacrificially and not for ourselves. That's the kingdom of God. Whenever we have an opportunity to show someone that new life is possible in Christ, man, we invite them in just like we were invited in because that's our mission. And Jesus promises that he will return. And when he does, he's bringing new creation with him. New creation is the garden city that we read about in Revelation 22. In this new creation, everyone will be allegiant to the king. Everyone will be connected to other people in the way that honors God. And everyone will be fulfilling the good work that God has for them to do. Let's read about this garden city from Revelation 22. Then the angel of the Lord showed me. And of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
This is where we're headed. This is what we're moving toward. We, we experience desert season. We see evil all around us. We experience pain and suffering, but we know the garden is waiting for us. We know where we're going. We know what Jesus is bringing here more accurately. This place where there will be peace and abundance, the waters of life available to all. So as a follower of Jesus, I celebrate with those of you who are in Christ this day when we acknowledge Jesus bringing something dead to life, not just in himself, but in us as well. And for those who are not followers of Jesus, I just want you to know you're invited. You're you're invited into this kingdom. You're invited into this story. Here's how um, Revelation ends with uh, these words. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's free to you. It costs Jesus his life, but you're invited. You're invited into this kingdom that we're celebrating today and that's gonna last forever. You ready to celebrate that? Let's do it. Let's celebrate together. Would you stand? So we're going to celebrate with a song. And uh, if you haven't been here uh, with us for Easter, um, we uh, celebrate with confetti. Uh, just give you a heads up. If, if loud uh, noises bother you, this is going to bother you. Um, so just be prepared for that. But we're going to sing this song um, called Graves into Gardens. And when you hear that phrase, that's the moment for confetti. When you hear graves into gardens, it's, it's about two-thirds of the way through the song. When you hear graves in the gardens, we're firing off confetti. We're celebrating new life in Jesus because of Resurrection Sunday. Are you ready? Let's do it.